Good morning, church. Welcome to uh, Grace Baptist Church Online. My name is Aaron Dinho. I'm, uh, again, the pastoral intern here. It's uh, a pleasure to be here with you guys digitally. Um, it's my first time up here, and uh, I hope that, uh, you know, God will move and work in this message and continue to move and work in this church. And so we're entering into a series called The World Upside Down. World Upside Down is the series that we're, we're currently in. We, did, we, we kicked it off last week, and the, the title has, is a bit of a double entendre, which, uh, which is a double meaning, right? That everything in the world going on right now, with all the stuff, all the, all the, the you know, uh, different things that we're encountering in culture and, and globally, certainly feels as though our world has been turned upside down, doesn't it? And yet the secondary meaning to this is in the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 6, Christians are referred to as ones who turned the world upside down by the way that they lived, by the way that they loved, and primarily by the way that they approached things in a countercultural type of way. And so us as Christians are called to a countercultural approach, countercultural approach to the world, to family, to church, to our lives. We are going to act and be vastly different from the culture at large. Um, that's how the church has been historically, and certainly that is going to be the same with us. And so this week, we'll continue in that series. We'll continue in looking at what it is the church is to look like as a, a, a force by, uh, used by God to turn the world upside down. So when we look at the world at large today, right, it's not very difficult to find division, is it? It's not very difficult to just open the door, go to the grocery store, and even find it there. Turn on the news, almost every channel, there's some form of division in one way or another. One of the few things, actually, that this culture is united on is that we are very divided. We live in a harshly, you are this or you are that type of culture. No middle ground, hard divisions. Everywhere in every realm of life, in every uh, corner of this culture, we can see that being the, the case. And moreover, what unity we do see in the world, we often see within groups that are, are alike, right? People are united with people who are like them, whether it be in political views or in, um, you know, socioeconomic background or ethnicity or, um, you know, interest or whatever. Oftentimes, unity, at least on the surface, can only be seen generally within people who are, who are very similar. In many ways, the world often desires <clears throat> diverse unity in speech, but often doesn't follow through in action. Unity is held up as a virtue, a great thing to be honored and pursued, and yet in action, it's often not. So how should we differ? How should we differ as a church? How should we differ as a people the people of God, the family of God, how are we to live in this world with such division 
in a way that is different, in a way that is countercultural, in a way that is upside down to the outside looking in. So the title of my, uh, this sermon today <coughs> is The Body of Christ, Unity and Division. We'll be looking at the text, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 27, the text that was, that was read before here, which is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian church, addressing different challenges that that church had dealt with. And one of the primary ones that the church dealt with was that of, that, that of disunity, that of disunity. So we'll explore the Bible today and see what the, this passage has to say about this. And we'll also see the uniqueness of our church, of the church, in, the, in the, the world we live in today. So I'll say a quick prayer, and then we'll, we'll hop into the text. Father, I just want to thank you for this time and opportunity you've given us to come together. Um, even if it's digitally, we're, we're still able to, to um, you know, to meet in some form. We're still able to hear your word. We're still able to, uh, you know, <clears throat> to be a church, even though we are divided right now. Oh, we long for the day that we can come back together. But until then, Father, I pray that you continue to work in your people, um, work in the, the, the lesson today. Guard my heart. Keep me from, from falsehood and error and, and allow me to be faithful to your text and word. Work in my heart and also in the hearts of everyone hearing right now that we would, we would take the tr truths of your word and, and help it saturate our hearts and our minds and ultimately our lives. Remind us of who you are and who we are in you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> All right. So that brings me to my first point. <clears throat> the church possesses deep unity through Jesus Christ. We see this in the first part of the passage that we're going through today, that, that this is where our unity comes from. It comes from Jesus as the foundation. In verse 12 it says, <clears throat> For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so is Christ. For in one spirit we were made, or we are all baptized into one body, Jews versus Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made, uh, made to drink of one spirit. <clears throat> so we see here that it is in Christ that we are unified. Unity is found <clears throat> in the church within the person and work of Jesus Christ. So what does this mean for us, though? Okay, that's nice to say. You know, it's a very, very churchy answer. Yeah, unity is found in Jesus. Okay. So what does that mean? What does it mean that we are united in Jesus? Because our, our unity in Jesus has everything to do really with the overarching message of the Bible. It has everything to do with, with the primary focal message of the Bible. That is the gospel message. If we don't understand the gospel message, then we will never understand what it means to be united in Jesus. And so if you, if you may... I will briefly summarize what that message is for us now to set the stage for the rest of this, of this passage. Briefly summarize the primary message of the gospel, um, the, the primary message of the Bible, and um, if I were to, to do that, I would do it in this way. By saying that our good 
and just God made the world and all of us in it. Originally, humanity enjoyed a perfect, harmonious relationship, not only with God, but with one another, free from division, free from strife, free from conflict. We see this in the beginning of the Bible. We see this in the Garden of Eden. And yet, as a result of the entrance of sin, because we have sinned, a separation there has now, has now put, been put into play. There's a separation between us and God because of our sin, and we are now under the, the righteous judgment and wrath of God, a, a just God against our evil, our sin. So our relationship with God was broken, but not only that, our relationship with one another the existence of sin, the entry of sin into our lives has saturated in, in, in many ways every part of, of relationships that exist within, within our lives. <clears throat> and so not only our relationship with God was affected, but our relationship with each other has become fractured and there is a dividing wall existent between all parties. But God did not desire, <clears throat> God did not desire the condemnation of all humanity for our sin. In the Bible, we see that in love, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to suffer and die on a cross for us. That, and resurrect in three days, that all for the purpose of taking upon himself our sin. The sin that, that created that dividing wall between us and God, Jesus took on himself for those who believe so that all of that sin, all of that division was nailed on the cross. He saved us from our sin unto God by grace through faith alone. That's the basic message of the Bible. That's it. If you, if you get anything out of the Bible, if you like, if that's all you get, then great. You, you got the most important thing. <laughs> and so that is the main message of the Bible, gospel, good news is often called um, the story of God redeeming his people, taking into himself that, that, that division, that, that division between us and God, so then we would not have it. We would not have those walls. Those walls would be broken between us and God, and we could have that relationship with him. <clears throat> so why have I gone through this? Why have I gone through this, right? <coughs> I've gone through this because this message is foundational. It is foundational to our unity as a church. It is crucial that we understand this truth, this truth, this gospel message, if we are to properly move forward as a church in unity. That God has broken down the walls of separation between us and him through Jesus Christ. And not only that, he has likewise broken down the walls of separation between one another. Because of Christ's death on the cross, we are now adopted into his family, referred to as a church, a single body. We are referred to as one another's now. We are a, a united entity in Jesus because of what Jesus has done, taking our sin from us. 
We're referred to as a body, and we can see that in a body, a, a, a human body is fundamentally incorporated with one, with one another, right? It's united, and it's fundamentally a part of, of one another. If one hurts, all hurt. If I break my arm, guess what? I, as a whole, am hurting, right? It's not just like, oh, that's my arm, that's it, but then everything else is fine. Nah, you know, that hurts, and it affects me. Um, if, I, if my stomach is fed, then my whole body is fed, right? I don't need to feed my arm, I don't need to feed my leg, I don't need to do all that. We are interconnected. And Paul, in this passage, uses the, the illustration of a body to depict that reality. Bringing me to, my, to the first lesson, which is trust in the unity that we have in Jesus. Seek to trust in that unity. Trust in the unity that we have in Jesus. In verse 13, it mentions, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. So one spirit, one body. It's by one spirit that we have entered into this relationship with God and into the church as a whole. And it's into one body that we now exist. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. And now he mentions this, Jews, Greeks, these are different cultures right now, right? Different backgrounds, different religious backgrounds, different, um, you know, uh, cultural backgrounds and practices. And then he also refers to slave or free, reminding us that there are people from different uh, socioeconomic backgrounds, so different status levels and class in society. What do I mean by this? Why do we say this? That despite our ethnicity, despite our cultural background, our class, we are varying in our backgrounds, but we are united by the blood of Jesus. We are united by the blood of Jesus and baptized into one body by one spirit. True unity. The foot of the cross, we are all equals. At the foot of the cross, we are all equals. All equally sinful all equally needing of a Savior, and all equally loved and accepted by a gracious God. So that is the first point, which then leads me to the second point. That there is great diversity within the church, and that is by God's design. Great diversity within the church is by God's design. Yes, we are united as one body, but we all look a little different, don't we? We all are a little different. We all have different backgrounds, different perspectives. Paul takes the body illustration here further by describing the church as uh, church members as being individual body parts within the body as a whole. For the, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many not one, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that too would not make it any less part of the body. Right? So we see that there are different components to a human body. So it is the case within the church. We have different people in here. We have different components, different types and functions and giftedness within the church. And that is a beautiful, 
beautiful and glorious thing, and it is by God's design that that is the case. We are different in our backgrounds, our function and form, but also we are equally valued, loved within the body of Christ. Just like an eye and an arm are radically different, even to the, like, even to the, the, the microscopic level, there's, there's so much difference between the way a human eye works versus the way a hand works. There's different functions. I cannot grab anything with my eye. I cannot see anything with my hands. It's different, and yet they're both valuable, right? I wouldn't just say, my hand, I don't need that. Just throw it out. I don't need my eyes. That's fine. I got hands. I don't need eyes. It doesn't make sense for us to think about our body in that way, and yet we need to have the same perspective with the church at large, don't we? We need to have the same perspective that within the church we have members who are very diverse, who are from different um, backgrounds, have different experiences, cultures, ethnicities, giftedness, even political views. There's generational differences. There's differences in conviction, even fashion differences. We dress a little differently, don't we? We are not all the same, but that diversity in the church is a good thing. It is a good thing. We are called to be united. We're, the church is called for unity, not uniformity. Unity, not uniformity. We're to be united, but not all exactly the same. Our unity comes in Jesus, but on the surface, our diversity can be very, very vast. In verses 17 to 20, he continues on by saying, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Right? If my body, kind of a weird, kind of a weird thing, but if my body were all arms, how useful would that be? Yeah. I don't think very, and frankly, it'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? So, <laughs> I don't think that that's the way God intended things to be, and I don't think that's a good thing for, for that to be the case. Same is true with the, with the church. Diversity is good. The different parts, different members, different giftedness, it's a good thing for the body as a whole. It's part of God's plan. Lesson two. Celebrate and embrace diversity within the church body. We are to celebrate and embrace it. Diversity, you know what? Great. We are different. We are diverse. There's all sorts of different types of people. Amazing. That is a good, God-honoring thing. We just heard some beautiful music here earlier, didn't we? We just heard some beautiful music with all sorts of different types of instruments, um, you know, variety of instruments, variety of musicians and voices that together as a whole created something beautiful that is more than the sum of its individual parts. As a church, we are God's 
body, God's beautiful orchestra, arranged together in such a way that differing people with differing talents and perspectives and uh, contribute to the body as a whole and produce beautiful music, produce beauty as a church, as a whole, reflecting Jesus in ways that we could not individually. With an understanding of this, that we are all different, but also equally loved. This is a countercultural approach, isn't it? This is an, a countercultural approach. Why? Because as I mentioned at the very beginning of this, we live in a very divisive culture which focuses more on differences versus similarities. And in this case, the similarities that we have being Jesus runs way deeper than anything else that might seek to divide us. We live in a culture where it feels more natural to gravitate towards people who are most like us. And yet, we are called as a church to engage and befriend those amongst us who differ. We live in a society which can often, because of the groups that stick with each other, often breed mistrust of other types of people, of other groups of people, right? We see it with ethnicity, we see it with politics, we see it with all sorts of stuff. There's a mistrust of one side or the other side. And yet as a church, we are called to engage those people. We are called to befriend them, love them, and develop fruitful and meaningful relationships with them. That is the way of Christ who did the same for us. That is the way of Christ who broke that barrier, stepped across, and entered into our lives. And so we are called to do the same as followers of Jesus Christ. And these friendships reflect the true glory of God's redemptive and reconciling work on the cross. These friendships re reflect the true glory of God. So my encouragement to you as a church First off, let me say that Grace Baptist Church, I am truly privileged to be a part of this body. I am truly privileged. I love you all so much. What I see happening here at Grace, I see this happening. I see it happening. I see growth. I see God moving in, in, in its people to, to move us out of our comfort zones into relationships with people who are not like us. I see the beauty of God at work in this congregation, and I want to commend you for your continual desire for unity amidst diversity. It is a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing to walk into here and see people of all variety of age groups, all variety of backgrounds, all ethnicities, different, different types of people worshiping God together. Keep growing in grace. I want to encourage you to keep growing, keep, keep clinging to Jesus. He's the power in which we do this. He always has been and always will be. Keep clinging to Jesus and seeking out those relationships. We're heading in the right direction as a church. My question to you, I guess, as we move forward to the third point, is as we, as we seek to grow in this area, what areas of, is God seeking to grow you in celebrating and embracing diversity? in the church? In what areas is God seeking to grow you in celebrating 
and embracing the diversity that may exist in this church. Brings me to my third point. That the church is a necessity for the believer. The church is a necessity for the believer. We are making it through a very weird time in history, aren't we? A weird and challenging time in church history with, uh, you know, COVID and everything else going on. We have <clears throat> been having to even meet up digitally. It's very strange. It's very different. Um, there's a lot of changes in the way that we've had to operate and, and, and live our everyday life. And in some ways, it's difficult because we're ready to return, right? We're ready to get back to it. And we, we, there's different challenges that come into place because of the restrictions. But surely, surely in other ways, it's probably a bit more convenient, right? Stay at home, watch that, watch that live stream. I don't have to drive anymore. I don't have to get dressed. I don't gotta, I can eat breakfast while watching, watching the sermon. Wow, look, Mark, you did a great job, Brady, you did a great job. Wow, you know, that's good. Eat my cereal. It's great. But the question then remains, because right now we're, we're moving towards the direction of reopening, right, as a church. The question remains, why should I return? Uh, this is pretty good. It's pretty sweet. I'm just chilling in my, my home by myself with, with family or whatever. Maybe that's not everyone's circumstance. I'm generalizing. But the question remains, for wherever you're at and whatever questions are going through your mind, ask ourselves this. Why should we return? Why should we endure the hassle of trying to connect to a church community, especially in the time frame we live right now? What a hassle it is. Keep my distance. Put on those masks. It's, it's going to be a hassle. Why should I endure this? Why should I go through this? Verse 21, Paul mentions the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need to, for you. So he's saying that members, individual members of the body cannot say to one another that they do not need each other. Um, there is a mutual need of one another within the body of Christ. We need one another. The diversity that exists within unity, we need each other. We need the diverse people. We need the friends and the family and all this stuff that we encounter in the church body. Just like my physical body needs, uh, needs the brain, needs the lungs, needs the, you know, needs the circulatory system, uh, the whatever. We, we need each other. The different components of a real body need this, and same thing with a church body. Lesson three is recognizing that. Recognizing that. Recognizing that we need the church and that the church needs us. We're part of the equation too. We need the church and the church needs us. We need one another. Being involved in the church is so important for the believer. Being, important in the lo uh, being involved in the local body of Christ is so important. First off, because it's who we are, isn't it? It's who we are. It's linked to our identity as followers of Jesus. We are called by God the body of Christ and the family of God. Being that as the case, the body of Christ, the family illustration 
shows a togetherness, a, a, an importance of interacting with one another and being a part of each other's lives. And so by meeting, we are living out who we are, our identity in Jesus, by being part of our local church. The family and body illustrations reveal a deeper nature in the church, that we are not just individuals, but a corporate entity. In verse 26, he says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one is honored, all rejoice together. Again, one part of the body is connected to the rest. And so for us to, to be involved in communities is very, very important for us to function healthily as individuals and as a church as a whole. The church is not something that is meant to be consumed like a product, viewed from a distance and looked at and observed. It's meant to be participated in. It's meant to be participated just like a family, you know? There's probably something, something going on if, if, if a member of the family just stays at a distance and never interacts with anyone in the entire family for prolonged periods of time. It's not how body works. If my arm isn't functioning because it's unconnected to the rest of the body, then there's a problem, isn't there? And so the church is not consumed, it's actively participated in. I heard something fascinating recently, kind of a weird, weird thing I saw online, kind of going through some of the news reports. Um, catch this. Japan is an interesting place that I love. I love the culture. I love the, you know, the, the people. But there's a, there's a very, very strange trend that's popped up now in, in there, and it is that Japanese individuals are being legally married to digital, digital characters. Stuff like video game characters, characters in animations, um, stuff like that, <laughs> you know? Um, that's a thing, uh, you know, that is, that is, that is starting to rise in, in certain individuals within, within Japan. And, um, you know, the question is, so this car, is that so? That's Japanese for, is that so? And the answer is yes, that is so. That is a real thing that's happening right now in this world. People are being legally married to digital imaginary characters. And so if you were to ask me what I think about this, you know, initially I'm like, that's kind of weird. But then at the same time, I think like, what's going on in that relationship is it's not a real relationship, is it? It's, it's not a real active, you know, working relationship. There's no give and take. There's no grieving with one another. There's no going through the joys and sorrows of life together. It's just, it's just an imitation of a real thing. And so the danger that we encounter when we don't, um, you know, see the importance and the need of being a part of the local body of Christ, we can say that I'm a Christian, but then if I'm not involved in the body, then, you know, the danger is similar, where I'm looking at it from a distance. I'm looking at it from a distance. There's no give and take. There's no grieving with one another. There's no rejoicing within one another. There's no deep relationships that exist with the back and forth of, of church life. Distance is, is there when there should be unity. 
Family does life together. A body exists together. And so should the church exist together in deep relationships. As Paul mentioned, my brothers and sisters are grieving. I want to know so I can grieve with you. My brothers and sisters are rejoicing. I'd like to know so I can be part of this and, and rejoice with you. Let's rejoice together. That's what the church looks like. That's what relationships look like. Um, and that's what we should desire as a, as a body to, as we seek to come back together, to continue pursuing that. Continue pursuing real, true, deep relationships with one another. As difficult as it might be sometimes, it is a good thing. It is a good thing. I figure I'd mention this as a brief, uh, brief aside. For those unable to come to services for various reasons. I know there's many individuals watching this right now, um, some of which might be, you know, um, uh, shut in at home for, for various health reasons uh, or, or in different circumstances where just, they're just unable to come and, and attend. And let me let you know, let me extend this to you, that there is so much grace and so much love for you. That we as a church body understand. We understand that, that this is where you're at. Um, I myself am immune compromised. I'm an immune compromised individual. My immune system does not work correctly. So even thinking about coming back together as a church uh, is something that I am actively wrestling with right now. I'm thinking when and how am I going to return to the body that I love so much. And so for you who really desires to come back but are physically or, or in, by other, some other means unable to, just a reminder that you are loved and you are not alone. We are here grieving with you. We are here alongside with you. You are still a part of the body. How can you give? How can you be a part of the body actively? Well, we can pray, can't we? We can pray. There's many other ways in which we can, we can be involved in the body without actively being here. Um, Prayer is one of those things. And so I want to extend that to you out there who might be listening and who might be in those situations. But moving forward to what it is we need to recognize regarding us being, needing the church is that Jesus desires to work in and through us within the local church body. Jesus desires to work in and through us within the local body. The reality is, is that we cannot grow as Christians alone. We can do some, but I think true growth in Christ-likeness requires others, right? What do I mean by that? There's a lot of one another's in Scripture, isn't there? There's a lot of one another's. What is very difficult, it's very difficult sometimes to love one another. It's very difficult sometimes to forgive one another, to sacrifice myself for one another, to give grace to someone, to show patience to someone who's like, oh, this person's just really, really testing me, to show that patience. We need other people, don't we? We need other people to exhibit and to, to practice these, these qualities, these traits. And so as the body of Christ, we're capable of showing love and forgiveness in ways that we cannot do individually. And so we truly need one another um, as a church. 
not only for that reason, but also to build into one another. Like we mentioned, there is unity, but there is also great diversity. There are many people here, many relationships that are, you, you, you may have or have yet to be built where, where God may choose to use these people in your life in various ways to build you up, to move you towards uh, Christ-likeness and to spur you on in the faith. Likewise, there are many people that God may choose to use you in their lives to, to, to grow the church as a whole. So in my personal life, there have been many people from many different backgrounds and, and perspectives who have influenced me deeply, who influenced me deeply. Men, women, people who are older, people who are younger than me, same age, um, friends, peers, uh, you know, mentors, different people in different walks of life who have been influential. And I wouldn't be the person I am today apart from those people. And likewise, God has used me in, in, in the lives of other people as well, and he desires to do the same in you, where we are working with each other as a church. In verses 22 and 25, Paul states that, on the contrary, parts of the body that seem to be weaker are dispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there be, may be no division in the party, but that the members may have the same care for one another. So he's conveying here that if you are an individual what, what does this mean? If you are an individual who feels as though I'm, I'm not important in the church, there's no, there's no point or need within me. I'm not like the pastor who is really like vocal about the gospel and all this stuff. I'm not like this, this other person that I know here who's, who's like a, got a servant heart and trying to and do all this stuff. They are so gifted in this area, gifted in that area. I'm not like them, so maybe I'm not needed. Every part of the body is important and is to be treated with honor. Let's think of a part of the body that seems like, who cares about that? The, like your toe, right? How about that? About your toe. It's not, like, if you were to, get to ask me, like, what is, ask a general person what's, like, the most valuable parts of the body, you'd say, probably say, like, eyes, brain, lungs, stuff like that. No one usually mentions the toe, and yet there is such importance to it that first off, if someone comes and says, hey, let me steal your toes real quick, you're not going to just let them take your toe. You're like, what are you talking about? Get away from me. No, they're mine. They're important. So you as a body, you value it as a body, as a person, as part of your body. But then in, in, in addition to that, it does have a function because it helps stabilize the way that I walk and the weight of the entire body as a whole. Without my toes, I would fall over all the time. It would be, it would be a mess. And so I, I, we understand that even a part of the body like that is so important. You are important. Whether you're a toe or an or a, or a arm or, a, or, a, or a f something on, on the face or whatever, you are a part of this body. You are valued and important to God's kingdom and, and for God's 
um, for God's purposes. There are many unplanned circumstances that I've encountered in church, right? Where someone has encountered me and said what needed to be said to me at a certain moment in time. It's in people like this, it's in situations like this that God sometimes works. His sovereign hand to say the right thing to you at the right moment. And we're not going to get that if we stay, stay apart. Let's pursue those relationships. Let's be a part of the body. Um, don't undermine each other as well. Like I said, if your giftedness is different from another, their giftedness is just as valuable within the body of Christ as your own. We fully have Jesus in us, but in our gathering together, Jesus is uniquely put on display. Jesus is uniquely put on display as a community as opposed to as an individual. Right? For the reasons I mentioned prior. What great love. What great, what great self-sacrifice. What great forgiveness and grace and patience can be exhibited by people who the world could look at and say, y'all shouldn't be loving each other. But you are. Where does that come from? It comes from Christ, and it's something that we are called to be as a church. And so ask God today to help us with the, seeing the necessity of the church in our lives and to, and to actively pursue it. That gives us the strength and power and wisdom that we need to pursue those, those challenging relationships that make us step outside of our comfort zone within the church. So my final thoughts are this. If you have never heard the gospel message before, let me address you. You've never heard the message of the Bible that, that we've sinned, we've been separated from God because of that sin, but Jesus so loved the world, Jesus so loved us, that he, he died on that cross to take our sin from us. So then when we place our faith in him, God looks at Christ as if he lived our sinful life, but he looks at us as if we lived his perfect life I extend this gift to you today. God extends this gift to you today, a free gift by faith alone, trusting in Jesus, clinging to his work on the cross, saying that only by Jesus alone, not my own merit, am I made right with God. And he will make you right with him. He will cleanse you of your sin. If you have not done that today, I implore you to do that. I implore you to do that because that is the first step in your relationship with God within the church. Then for those who are in the faith, who have heard the gospel, who comprehend and have trusted in it, the culmination of the book of 1 Corinthians is actually in the next chapter. We are right at it. We're right, like for chapter 12, which we went through today, the climax of the book is in chapter 13, which is the next chapter over. What is the point of that chapter? What's it all about? It is all about the fact that the church is to be rooted in love. The church is to be rooted in love, Christ-like love, self-sacrificial love that gives to one another. Know that there are many changes and challenges coming up for us as a church. We're seeking to regather soon. But within this season, let's be excited. 
Let's, be, let's look forward to what God may do. Change is not a bad thing. Change can be good. There can be a lot of changes here that God uses this, this season and time in our life just where we are to do great things, not only in us, but then in the church as a whole and in the world as, the, as a whole. Um, we are regathering, as I mentioned, we're regathering as a church body soon. Um, we're doing the night of worship tonight. You're welcome to come by. And then in the following weeks, we have, we have plans for, for regathering as well. Might this be a wonderful opportunity for us as a church to live out these things together, to depict and to live in the unity that we have in Christ, to celebrate and appreciate each other's diversity, and to seek out and, uh, the necessity that we have to be in those relationships that we can find within the church. Rejoicing for those who are returning, but also grieving with those who can't. Doing both together at the same time. When we gather together, let's rejoice because we're, we're together again. We get to see each other and we get to... But then let's also grieve. Let's grieve for people grieving. Let's grieve for people you know, dealing with loss, unable to, to regather. We are in this together. And for those of you at home who are unable to come back, rejoice with us as we rejoice, but also know that we grieve with you, that you are not alone. So let's end in a word of prayer. Father, I want to thank you for, for your son, for your work on the cross that has removed all hostility between us and you. Thank you for likewise removing the hostility between us and our brothers and sisters in Christ through the cross. Help us live in that. Help us rest in that truth and in that reality. And my, by your will and by your power and your, and your spirit, might we have that as a reality in our lives starting today. Help us see the transformative unity of your, your cross. Help us uh, celebrate the beautiful diversity that exists in your body. And as we seek to live this life out, turn the world upside down as they see us, seeing that we represent a God who is greater than the world. We cannot do this without you. We cling to you today. We cling to your power and your grace to give us what we need to, to, to live this out. Lift all these things up to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.